In John chapter 13, Jesus is nearing the end of his life. Just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour would come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own on earth, he stayed with them until the end. The devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus took up his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and drying them with a towel that he was wrapped with. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, Do you not understand what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter quickly replied and said, No, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus then replied, Peter, unless I wash you, you will never have, you will have no part with me. But then Jesus said, Well, not just my feet, but my head and hands as well. Those of you that have had a bath need only to wash their feet, meaning being bathed in Christ through salvation and believe. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Because Jesus was referring to Judas, who was going to betray him, and that's why he had said, not everyone is clean. When Jesus finished, he put on his clothes and returned to his place and asked them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher, and that is what I am. Now, Lord, your teacher, and I have washed your feet. You, in turn, should wash each other's feet. I have set an example, so you should do as I have done for you. But truly, I say to you, no servant is greater than his master. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It seems as though the only time Peter ever opened his mouth was to switch his feet. Unless Jesus humbles himself as a servant, unless Jesus selflessly offers his life in Peter's place, Peter would have no ability to follow him. Jesus' service on the cross was pictured here by the foot washing in chapter 13 of John. Is what, and it is what makes discipleship possible. Peter then asks to wash all of him, but Jesus replies, saying that is unnecessary. See, the point here is not the depth of Peter's sin, but it's the depth of Christ's sacrifice. His ultimate act of humble service upholds all acts of Christian service and discipleship will follow, giving us a true example of what it means to multiply and to serve one another. Good morning, church. Uh, thank you for having me back. Um, it's a blessing to be here, and uh, thank you for your patience. Um, teaching brings many gifts, and uh, when I work with middle school students, oftentimes they either don't cover their mouth or they don't, um, you know, they sneeze all over you and things like that. I mean, I love it, right? But, uh, you know, oftentimes they bring a, they bring a cold too, and, and then they're kind enough to give it to me. So um, last week I was out, but I'm just glad to be back this week, and thank you for Mike Caps for stepping in and and uh, helping me out there. Um, I titled my message today, How Can I Serve You? Um, I want you to imagine Peter um, and watching Jesus wash the other's feet, and while the, and all the while moving closer to you, seeing his master behave like a slave must have really confused Peter. Uh, he still did not understand Jesus' teaching that to be a leader, you must be a servant. See, this is not really a comfortable passage to talk about for those who um, really don't like to um, hear from people underneath them who feel that it is hard to serve those who are underneath them in the workplace. So how do you treat those who serve you and work under you? Whether it be children, employees, or volunteers, do they feel valued when they work with you? 
Previously, you have studied in the book of Matthew on the issues of divorce and first part of chapter 19. And then Jesus taught the disciples the value of children and how we are to approach God. Um, Jesus then speaks of the rich young man and in chapter 20 tells the parable of a vineyard workers. So this week, we will learn that the Gospel of Matthew gives us four reasons why Jesus came. My purpose for sharing this message today is often that we forget, we kind of forget the big picture of why Jesus came. Um, he came to serve and to show us how to serve one another. Um, if you read John 13, 34 and 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples because of the love you have for one another. Uh, this message is also for those who do not seek the Lord's help and they think they can take care of it on their own. Paul says that when we are weak, then he is strong and he shows his glory in our weaknesses. If you have a problem with being too self-sufficient and don't need others' help, the next time how can you maybe show that you're neighborly by letting someone help you or you helping them? Oftentimes in my life, um, even though I know I can do a task on my own, if I want to catch up with somebody or get to know them or just see how they're doing and I haven't talked to them in a while, I ask them to come along and help me with something because it's not that I really need the help. It's that I want to catch up with them. I want to talk with them. I want to share with them how God's working in my life. And I want to hear what God's doing in their life. And so it's kind of a quality time. So if you would, turn to Matthew twenty, seventeen, and We'll read verses 17 through 28. Matthew twenty seventeen through 28. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him. Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able, he said to them. You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom he has prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, the many blessings that you've given us. God, I thank you for this church and, and the people here. Um, Father, I just ask that you give me the words to say that it's not um, from my lips, but from yours. Uh, Father, I just pray for the ones who um, are here today that have walls that need to be breaking down. Um, Lord, the ones who um, maybe struggle with helping their neighbor. Uh, God, that they would um, just see pe- other people through a, a Jesus lens. God, that they would see them in, through your eyes and see that other people need help. God, I also pray for the ones who don't think that they can ask for help, that they think they can take care of it on their own. God, I ask that um, that we could humble ourselves and, and realize that it's okay to ask for help. And uh, God, that 
in our weaknesses, you are strong. Father, I thank you for all that you do. In Christ's name, amen. So just to give you a little bit of background on Matthew 20, 17, and 28. Previously, Jesus had predicted his death with the disciples two previous times in chapter 16 and chapter 17 of Matthew. But the disciples still did not, they did not really grasp and accept um, and believe what he meant. They continued to argue over positions in Christ's kingdom. And as they were heading back to Jerusalem, Jesus takes the 12 disciples aside again and he shares for the third time what the future will hold. And so I'm thinking third time's a charm, right? Well, maybe not. So as you go through your outline today and handout, um, the central theme of this passage is actually the last verse. It's actually verse 28. Um, and so oftentimes I'll be referencing back to that. So the first reason Jesus came was Jesus came to suffer. And verses 17 through 19, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and that they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. So here Christ identified with us as men. Just like Jesus, excuse me, Jesus liked referring to himself as the Son of Man, and he actually did in the New Testament almost 70 times. The common understanding is that the Son of God implies his deity, and the Son of Man implies his humanity. This is all true. But however, the Son of Man doesn't just line up with humanity. It actually lines up with deity as well. It's probably taken from Daniel 7. And if you read the chapter, you'll see that the Son of Man is a very exalted figure. So it's not just a human figure, but it's an exalted one as well. So the Son of Man has a double meaning. Meaning of a human and meaning of the exalted one. So Christ sympathized with us in our suffering. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus can sympathize with us today because he has experienced a full range of temptation just as we experience, and he experienced it as a human being. We take comfort in knowing that Jesus faced temptation, but the only difference is he didn't give in to the sin, and we do. So he knows that we don't have to take and, and run to that sin, and we can say no. The second reason Jesus came was Jesus came to serve. <coughs> Excuse me. Christ gave his life as a ransom for many. The word Matthew for ransom is lutron. It's a Greek word that can refer to a payment made to release something or someone from slavery. Today we might associate this with a hostage situation, which is appropriate because, in a sense, sin and self and death holds us hostage until we are released by Christ. Christ gave his life so that we may be free. In Hebrews 2.15, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Jesus had to become human, flesh and blood, so that he could die and rise again in order to destroy the devil's power over death. Only then could Christ deliver those who had lived in constant fear of death and free them to live for him. When we belong to God, we need not to fear death because that's just an, a doorway uh, to eternal life. Uh, so last February, I had a difficult time because one of the, most world's, one of the world's most beloved pastors passed away. Uh, Billy Graham had went to be with the Lord, and though I was really happy that 
he went on to be with the Lord, I really struggled because I'm afraid that he might be one of the last great evangelists of of all kind of all uh, of the world. Really, um, he was recognized as one of the most influential people of the 20th century. In which, as a Christian and a history teacher, I thought that was pretty neat. But I mourned for him, as a lot of people did, for a whole week. And but it was Billy who reminded me of something. And I started asking myself, are my priorities mixed up here? Because I'm, I'm really upset because he's passed away, but shouldn't I be more happy because he went to be with the Lord? And it was Billy who showed me that I was wrong. Um, and, and he kind of corrected me here. And if Billy is now with the Lord, shouldn't I be happy for him and stop being so selfish that he's not with us anymore? And so I had to kind of work that out. And Billy once said, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. And I, I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. And that's what Billy said. The third reason Jesus came was Jesus came to be our substitute. Jesus gave his life in the place of those he would save. We stand under the weight of our sin and the wrath of God, fully deserving death. But Jesus took our place and he became our substitute. So the next part is Christ became the cupbearer. Verses 20 and 23. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do, you do know what you are. Do you not know what you are asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able he said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by the Father. So the mother of James and John and the wife of Zebedee kneeled down to show as if she was wanting to worship Jesus, but really it was to kind of butter him up because she wanted to ask Jesus a favor um, and to try to lure him in. Too often we see this in church where we play these religious games where we're expecting God to do something because we have done a, a good deed, kind of like a genie. I've done something for you, so God, you need to do something for me. Or sometimes we treat other people in the church that way. And then as this mother of the sons of Zebedee, or excuse me, the mother of yeah, the sons of Zebedee, she um, was really wanting her children to really become advanced and be honored. And that's okay, but parents naturally want to see their children grow up and, and to do well and be promoted but it can also be dangerous because it can cause us to lose sight of God's specific will for their children uh, God may have a different plan for them and it may not be as glamorous but it can still be just as important too um, Christ willingly walked into the jaws of suffering Luke twenty two thirty nine through 44 says and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him and when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. See, I really like this passage because it kind of showed Jesus' human side, too. Um, 
And you might be asking, well, how does this willingly show that Christ walked into the jaws of suffering? Um, it might appear that Jesus was trying to, to get out of his mission, but in reality it shows that he was still fully man, but yet still fully God. I don't think he was really concerned about his physical pain on the cross. I mean, I'm sure he thought about it, but I think he was more concerned and, and worried about the pain when his father turned his back on him, and then he had to carry the world's sins. But he, Jesus reaffirms his mission when he says, Yet not my will, but yours be done. And the fourth reason Jesus came, Jesus came to show us how to live and how to serve. Verse 24 through 28, And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. So the last shall be first. Just in the chapter before, you you've all have already studied that Jesus quoted in saying, but many who are first will be last, and who are last will be first. See, the world teaches us that we need to become the first priority, that you may need to make yourself the top priority. Social media says that we need to become our own celebrity, that you can do as much as you can to make yourself popular. But Jesus kind of turned the world's values upside down. In life, to come, um, the last will be first, and if you got last place for choosing Jesus, you will be first in the next life. So do not forfeit eternal rewards for temporary benefits. Be willing to make greater sacrifices now for greater rewards later. And be willing to accept human disapproval while knowing that you have God's approval. So in the Christian life, we should always put Christ first. So if you have your little outline, why don't you put Jesus right here. So priority number one, Jesus. Okay. So as you get up in the morning, um, and some people have their... Bible studies in the morning, some people have them at night. Um, I've kind of been both ways. But I like to start it in the morning because um, it's like, Lord, I am declaring this day for you. I am I'm getting up, and the first person I want to talk to is God. And so I, I get down, and I, I open my Bible, and before I start my day, I'm going to say, God, this is your day. As a teacher, you have really good days, and you have really bad days. And uh, when you work with middle school students, it's, yeah, if you know what I mean. So it can kind of get a little rough. <laughs> so you, you kind of understand. So um, clinging on to the Word of God um, is pretty, pretty vital. And, uh, and just seeing these students through, a, I, I call it through Jesus' eyes. I say, sometimes I, I talk to the 7th and 8th graders and I say, okay, well, people aren't always loving their neighbor as their self. So I said, well, put your, put your Jesus glasses on and how would Jesus see them? Because maybe they're just having a bad day. You have no idea what's going on at home. You have no idea why they're upset. You have no idea why they're mad. It may not be about you at all. And, you know, just sharing with students like that, they're like, oh. And so, you know, if, when you take the focus off yourself and see what is really going on, then the world just becomes so much more clear. So Christ did not come as a tyrant, but as a servant. So when Jesus entered the world, it wasn't like a king coming into a kingdom, like a John Wayne or Clint Eastwood coming into a, a saloon and starting shooting up everything. He came as a small infant, born not into a beautiful palace with garb and the royalties, but he came in a dirty stable. Okay, talk about being humble. 
In John 12, Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time riding on a donkey. Jesus is being honored like a, like a Roman military leader, and oftentimes they do that. Like if Caesar would come in to, a, to Rome after a great military victory, um, they would lay olive branches down on the ground, and that was to show honor and respect to them. And so the Jews were doing this for Jesus throughout the streets um, and out of respect for him. But a week later, these same people who were doing that were throwing stones and cursing him um, for not taking control of the Romans on behalf of the Jews. So, but Jesus comes as, and serves as the ultimate sacrifice, and yet they don't see it. So it reminds us that our first priority is Jesus, and our second priority should be other people. So you can put others. So put Jesus self, Jesus first, and then others. And then, then you take care of yourself. You take care of everyone else's needs, but first you take care of your relationship with Christ. And if you're if your relationship vertically, like this, is not doing well, then all your horizontal relationships are not going to work. So, uh, Matthew six thirty three says, "Seek first the kingdom of God, and that all things will be added unto you." So, make sure that Christ is first, and then everything else will fall into place. So then you put yourself last, and this gives you the most joy. So joy. And the the word joy and the word happiness are two different two different words. Happiness is circumstantial, based on I got a good grade on a test, or I did, you know, I just had a cheeseburger, or you know, something that makes you really happy. But joy is eternal, and joy is something despite of what happened and your circumstances, you still have joy. You know, First Corinthians or First Thessalonians five eighteen, rejoice in all circumstances because you have that joy in your heart. Jesus did not come to be served by you. He came to serve you. Jesus did not come to be helped by you. He came to help you. Jesus did not come to be waited on by you. But he came to wait on you. I think one of the most valuable things in a life of a Christian is that you have an impact on someone else's relationship with Christ. I heard one time a pastor say that who is the richer man? The one with all the money at the end of his life who passes away, but he can't do anything with it. Or the man who has has had an effect on dozens and hundreds and millions of people for Christ. The best reward in my lifetime is not how well I promoted myself, but how well I influenced others by being Christ-like examples for others. He went on to say that at your funeral, hope that everyone in attendance is impacted by you in some way so that when the pastor asks if, you're where, if you were impacted for Christ by this man or by this woman, would you please stand? And the whole congregation would stand. It all starts by following the two greatest commandments. Matthew chapter 22 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, I've always felt that this community, is, this, and especially this church, is pretty good at loving your neighbor. Um, you know, I was actually sharing with my students last week. I said, you guys don't understand, but where I grew up, I mean, you drive down the road, I don't know him, and he didn't know me, but we wave. I love that, because it's just, it's a community, it's neighborly. If I don't know that person, I know someone who does know that person, right? Yeah, and uh, I'm sure my cousin went to school with his cousin, so I love that. I love that, and um, it just made it really hard to go to prom, but (laughs) I had to throw that in there. 
Um, but I always felt like it was, I always loved that community and that close-knit community and, and the way people help each other with meals and the way people help each other with um, just when someone is hurt. And just by the Missions Minute today and just sharing how you're helping other people out is just, I mean, there's no, there's no other church. Um, it's so awesome to watch. Either because, but I think in today's society, though, it's, we don't see the neighborly type of mentality anymore. Either because people are not as trusting with good reason or people are so absorbed they miss opportunities to help other people. And they miss opportunities um, to really help people with their life questions. And um, I think sometimes we're so focused on what's happening away from us that we're not focused on what's happening right in front of us. And either because we're absent, absent on our phone or we're absent um, just things that we have to get done and the goals that we have, um, we, just miss, we just miss what's going on right here. Uh, many don't respond well to assistance, like Peter, who can become prideful and not admitting we need God's help or help from a neighbor. Um, when I was young, I watched a lot of TV shows in the morning, but one of my favorite TV shows was Mr. Rogers. Uh, Mr. Rogers had a bigger impact on my life than I actually realized. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but last month marked the 50th anniversary of the show Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood coming on the air. Um, the first show aired in 1968, and I watched, I watched this show in the early 90s, and many of you may have grown up with him too. Um, so just within the past couple of years, his wife and the people that helped make the show, create it, uh, they decided to make a documentary about Fred Rogers' life. Um, and in the, docu- the mo- documentary is called, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I really encourage you all to watch it. Um, it had a lot of good Christian values in it. And what I, what I kind of always thought and assumed, but really was confirmed in this documentary, but that he was a believer. Uh, Fred Rogers had actually planned to go to seminary and to become a Presbyterian minister. And I, I did not know that at all. Um, though he had a, a heart to preach, and later he did become an ordained minister, uh, he and his wife had a really strong passion for children and children's ministry. And so he thought that what an impact it could be by making a television show um, for children tackling tough issues like divorce and assassination and racism and, and things that were so prevalent in America during the 1960s. People couldn't understand how someone could be so nice, though, and so kind and so compassionate and so loving towards other people. Um, rumors started to spark up, and as I was young, I believe these too, that he was um, a Navy SEAL who had complete had a complete turnaround and was trying to make up for his mistakes, and he wears a sweater to hide his tattoo sleeves. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's what people said. And but as I watched this documentary, I mean, I was woken up too, and I said, Fred Rogers is writing my sermon this week because here's the thing. The classic example of looking for a reason, or this is just a classic example, for someone looking for a reason, for someone of this much singularity and just kind of different, um, to say, well, he can't really be this way. There's got to be a reason for this. Like, there's, there's no one that's that kind and compassionate towards other people. No one would really care that much. But as a Christian, we have an example. And he was giving us a Christ-like example on TV for over 40 years. Fred Rogers knew Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and he practiced to love your neighbor as yourself. So I want to do something a little different. Um, my challenge to you this week, I like to do a weekly challenge, uh, 
Um, I want you right now to think of someone who has served you along in your journey. That could be your mom. It could be a parent. It could be, you know, it could be anyone, a, a mentor. Um, they might be right here. They might be far away or they may be in heaven. But no matter where they are, deep down, you know that they always wanted the best for you and beyond all measure. So I want you right now for about a minute to think about that person who has been such an impact in your life. Think about what they had done for you specifically. I often think of those who had had an impact on my life and have helped me along the way. Homer and Sally Stern, Keith and Donnie David, my aunts and uncles, the men and women of Ramsey Creek, Pleasant Valley, and First Baptist Maryville, Alan David, Lee Hartley, Rod Omis, Jason Hamilton, Tom Hufty, Dr. Sam Swisher. And uh, one who has always provided for me, who has always made sure I had enough clothes and enough to eat, has made sure that all three of her boys could go to college, and has sacrificed so much so that her kids could have a good Christmas every year as a single mom who never thought of herself before her children was my mom. Are you allowing God to help you? Or do you allow pride to take over and think that you are self-sufficient? Sometimes we treat God as if he lives on a shelf. And we take him down when we need him. And then when we don't need him, we put him back. I want you to take a look at this video. This was a video of the 1992 Olympics. Um, and it's a race between America and many other countries. In Barcelona. There's going to be times in your life when you can't run the race on your own. Uh, just when you think no one can hear you. Uh, you think there is no one there for you and help arrives. Um, Derek Redmond was favored to be the 1992 um, winner for the 400-meter sprint. At 150 meters into the race, um, he felt a, a searing pain. <clears throat> In this pain, uh, he, felt, he fell to the ground and he tore his hamstring. Breaking through security, a man came to Derek's side. That man was his father. Just when you think you can't persevere anymore, when obedience becomes too hard, the narrow path seems impossible, or that thorn in your flesh becomes unbearable, your Heavenly Father comes to your rescue and helps you finish the race. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, He will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. In your weakness... God is most glorified, so ask him. Let him ask you, how can I serve you? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done. God, thank you for this day. God, I pray that um, as we hear more from your word and we break down walls, God, I pray that we would be um, so um, ready to, to help a neighbor and God to, to love those around us to see needs to to ask and pray for opportunities to help serve um, god when we see service um, we see you and uh father i just ask that uh, us today can have a a greater impact on on people around us in our community in our neighborhood and in our school god thank you for all that you've done in christ's name amen